0: My sermon this morning is called "Your Love Is Solid," but where is your doctrine? Right, your love is well, Your love is growing, but where is your doctrine? Now, you might be saying this is very similar, right? Like I kind of felt like I heard this a couple weeks ago, right? It's similar to um, a couple weeks ago sermon. Well, I borrowed the title in a way. Bill a couple weeks ago preached on the churches of Ephesus. And he kind of had the same title. Your your doctrine is growing, but where is your love? So here we have this church, and their love is there. Their love is growing, but there's no doctrine. There's There's no holding on to God's truth. Now, see, both Ephesus and Thyatira had something that the other churches needed. See, one of them had love but no doctrine, and then the other one had doctrine, but no love. Today, we're going to be looking at the letter to Thyatira, and we're going to see the church that kind of seems to be getting it right. You're You're hearing Jesus kind of say, hey, you're doing this right. You're kind of like, okay, they got a good grasp of these things, but yet they're missing out on something. They're lacking in a very important area. And so we're going to be in Revelations chapter 2, verse 18. So if you're not there yet, turn to your Bibles to chapter 2, verse 18. And we're going to kind of follow the same pattern that we've been following with the, uh, with the letters. You kind of got God speaking to his people. Jesus is going to be addressing his people He's kind of got a, you know, either a good thing to say, a, a not admonishment to the, his people. Um, and in some circumstances, he has the rebuke. He has to say something to the church that they're not doing, that they should be doing. Right. So and then we have the plea. There's often a plea when God, when, when Jesus is speaking in these letters and ultimately leading to a promise something that God wants to tell them to hold on to, that something so good that it, it, should, it should cause them to rejoice, cause them to, to live out the gospel life. So we're going to kind of follow the pattern, people, admonishment, the rebuke, please, and the promise. Kind of that's going to be our format for today's sermon. And if you are taking notes, uh, my main idea is this. God will judge false teachers and their followers and he causes true church to persevere by holding fast to the truth of his word. All right. That is my main point this morning. God will judge those who are not proclaiming the gospel. God will judge those who continue to walk in light of those false teachings, not just the teachers here, but also those who are responding to that teaching, but those who persevere, those who hold fast to the word of God, they they will persevere and the, there's a great promise in that. So let's look at verse 18 through 19. And to the angel of the church, and Thyatira, Thyatira, write, the word of the son of God who has eyes like flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished, uh, burnished bronze. So here we got God specifically speaking to his people. And like all letters, Jesus begins with write. Jesus is addressing his people. Jesus is telling John, John, write the things that I'm about to speak to this church. And so we see a description of Jesus in verse 18. We see son of God, eyes flame of fire, and feet of bronze. Now this isn't a new description of Jesus. Because if you turn over to Revelations chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, you get the same illustration, the same description of who Jesus is when John is first seeing Jesus um, for the first time in, in, in the book of Revelation. Look at verse 13. He says, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with long a long robe and with a golden slash around his chest, the hairs of his heads were like white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a first and a furnace. So we get this description of Jesus. We look at first one. It says, "Son of God." Son of God. It displays the oneness that Jesus has with the Father. The fact that Jesus has authority over everything and everyone. Jesus is who he is. He is the Alpha and he is the Omega. Eyes, flame of fire. This shows his insight and the power to judge. This shows that he sees all things, not just the mind, but even the heart. And lastly, we see the feet of bronze. Feet of bronze, shows his purity and the ability to crush all who stand against him. Nothing or no one will stand against Jesus. He will crush all things that are evil. We're also introduced in the letter to a church. Verse 18, And to the angel in the church in Thyatira write these things, right? So we got to know a little bit about this city. See, this city, like we learned about Ephesus a couple weeks ago, was, they were very different. Tyathara was a great city with great business and success due to the guilds that were in place. Some of you guys are like, what are guilds? What is that? All right, guilds were an association of merchants that had considerable power to trade. So you kind of had, think of them as unions today. These unions would, you know, I I had the pleasure of working for a union when I used to work for Jewel. And there was a sense of protection that I got from working in this union that was like, you can't touch me. Like, I got these people who are going to back me up. I had a sense of power. I had a sense of, you know, social success at Jewel. And I felt that. Right. And so this was kind of happening in this city. You had these people that were having success, and they had all these financial ways that they were growing. And so this was what was happening in this city. And they were known specifically for their purple dye and their metals. They, they were producing. So they were known for things that were pretty good things to be known for. And so more likely, you would have some believers that were part of these guilds. Right, You would have some who were in these guilds or trying to get into these guilds so that they can find for themselves some type of financial help or success and to, to interact with people and make their livelihood. So that's kind of what we know of the city. And we know that there's a church there that is meeting and that Jesus is addressing. Let's look at verse 19. Kind of like we talked about. Jesus is about to encourage them. Jesus is about to admonish them. He's, gonna, he's saying something. Hey, you're doing something good here. Look at verse 19. I know your works. I know your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter work succeeds the first. Jesus is saying, look, you're doing good things. You're doing good things. I'm seeing the works that are being done by you. I'm, de- I'm seeing your faith." There is faith. I'm seeing just your love that you have for one another, your patient endurance in trials. We're not very sure what that was meaning for them, but but there was a sense of they were growing in love, which was very opposite of Ephesus. They were growing in these things. And so one has to wonder what, what is going to happen next. Look at verse 20 but I have this against you, right? He, he, he has something against them. He encourages them. You're doing well here, right? And I love that he says that your, your latter works exceeds the first, right? Because it just seems that the church here just wasn't stuck in doing one thing. They were constantly doing things that were exceeding the things that they were doing before. They were moving. They had some track going on going. But there was a problem. There was a rebuke. There was an issue that Jesus had with this church, and it wasn't an issue to take lightly. Jesus had to address this because what it meant for the church was some severe, severe things. Look at verse 20. But I have this against you that you are tolerant, that you tolerate the woman, that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. We're going to stop there in verse 21. We're introduced to a, a prophetess, a false teacher, and her name was Jezebel. Or at least we think her name is Jezebel. So we got to ask our question: the question, who is this false prophet that was leading believers astray? That's so what we're told in verse 20. She called herself a prophet, And it's teaching and seducing my people to practice sexual immorality and idolatry. Eating foods sacrificed to idols. See, I didn't grow up in the church. But even the name Jezebel never had a good representation in my house. All right? That was the one thing you didn't want to be called ever. Um, it, It just always had a bad name to it, right? Jezebel. All right? And the reality, there is a reason why it does come with some bad, uh, you know, some bad baggage, right? This isn't the first time that we're introduced to the name Jezebel. It actually, we're introduced to uh, this person Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 16. She, this was back in the Old Testament. She was a woman who married King Ahab, who was a king of Israel at that time. And she was a evil, evil woman. And what she was doing, she was poisoning the mind of the people. She was violently trying to turn Israel, to turn their worship from Yahweh, and turn their worship into Baal. And Baal was a false god who was all about sexual morality, all about food sacrifice to idols. And this was the god that Jezebel wanted Israel to, Israel to worship. And she was imposing them, this God, violently. She wanted them to worship this God. And so Jesus gives this prophetess, this false teacher, this name. Now, many scholars agree, right? Most of the commentaries I was reading uh, during this week were saying that more than likely, this wasn't her name. This wasn't really her name. But what she represented and symbolized was everything that the Jezebel and first king represented. Everything that she represented was the very thing that this prophetess was trying to enforce on this church that was teaching it. in this church. This false prophet was seducing and hurting the church with her false teaching. And yet, and yet we're told that the church was tolerating her. And yet we're told that that this false prophet, this false teacher was standing up and proclaiming these false teachings and instead of throwing her out and saying, get out of here, they tolerated her. They, They were okay with this message. So the question has to be asked, why? Why would you? well let's get go, let's go back and talk about the guilds talk about these modern day unions see back in the day being part of these guilds meant success financially and socially you wanted to be part of these these guilds right because they meant something for you but it also came at a price it came at a price and it came with false worship of idols and sexual immorality. See, members of these guilds were required to worship the pagan god Apollo, the son of Zeus. And you know, what I think it's interesting, right? That when Jesus begins the letter, he, he says, I am the son of God. He also wants to remind the readers that are, re- that are hearing this, that he is the son of God, not Apollo's. He is the one true God, the one true son of God. And he wants to remind his readers to know that. And so here you have these guilds who were who were giving into this worship and expected everyone to be part of this. And basically if you weren't partaking in these things, you're basically going to be kicked out. Because for them they're probably like, look, if you don't do that, Apollos is going to get angry. We're going to lose our success. We're going to lose everything because you're not following this way. And so they kick him out. They'll kick them out and say, "Get away from us." And that person then is left with nothing, no financial stability, no social, um, no social life. No, he loses everything. So, what is a Christian to do? Was there a way to reconcile being a Christian and still engage in the customs of the world? Here you had a false teacher saying, yeah, you could. Hey, I got a great way to do that. Come here. Listen to this. There's a way to do it. There's a way to compromise the gospel to fit your life. And it's what happens ultimately when a lack of doctrine is replaced with false teaching." He was probably teaching that the body was separated from the spirit, and therefore the body didn't matter, right? This was a common teaching that was spreading, a common false teaching that was spreading throughout, um, throughout this area, that, that don't worry about the body, it's all about the soul. The body's nothing. Don't worry about that. But that was false. First Corinthians chapter 6:18, if we want to go there, Paul bets to differ. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits, it's outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Paul's saying, no. No, the body matters to God. Not only does the spirit matter, but the body matters to God because the spirit who God... Who is God dwells in it. Or perhaps she was teaching a cheap grace. A grace that basically says, hey, you can keep doing what you want to do. Jesus is going to forgive you, anyways. Don't worry about it. Keep doing what you're doing. All you got to do is just pray and it's all good. Cheap grace. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the sermon, what that really looks like. So why not rebuke her? Why not not dismiss this false teacher, false teaching? It's not like they didn't have the gospel. It's not like they didn't know what, what the apostles have taught. They knew it. Obviously, they were moving in some of the right direction. Why not kick her out? Or maybe they were compromising their faith so that they would continue to live in the disillusion that how they lived didn't affect them spiritually. Maybe they were compromising the gospel because they didn't want to interfere with their livelihood or their social status. And so they compromised the gospel so they can continue to do what they were doing. It's easy to compromise the gospel when we want to keep doing what we want to do. It's easy to listen to false teachers and and teachings when we want it to accommodate to our lifestyle. It's easy to do that. We want to hear what we want to hear. And so it's easy to sit there and say, oh, this is good. It's spiritual, God, when it's the works of the devil. What about the church today? Do we compromise the truth of the gospel for an easy life? Are we easily swayed from the truth to false teaching so that it conforms to our own sinful lives? 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. If we're looking to make an excuse for our sin, if we're looking to compromise, false teachers will always ex- exist to accommodate that. If we're looking for ways to, to, to keep living our sinful lives, there are always going to be teachers who are going to accommodate that need. But it doesn't change the fact that false teaching is false th- teaching, works of the devil. This week, I was kind of just looking at ways that false teachings exist in our culture, in our world today, and specifically in the church. And I came across two quotes that just infuriated me. I was so mad uh, that I wanted to, like, punch my iPad. And here's one of the first ones. I must add, though, I don't believe making disciples must mean that you make them Christians. It may be advisable in many, not all circumstances, to help people become followers of Jesus and remain within Buddhist or Hindu or Jewish contexts. This teacher's basically saying, hey, you can be a Christian and still adhere to being a Buddhist. You can still be whatever you want and just hold to the teachings of Jesus. Like they have the same thing, the same message. Another one said, "The church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their defense." So this teacher, who's supposed to be a believer, false prophet, false teacher, says that basically the word that God said is good, this is what we need," is basically saying. If we're using this, we're relevant to our culture today. So what does it look like to compromise the gospel today? Do we compromise the gospel at our jobs? Do we compromise the gospel at our jobs? Because we want to fit in, right? And so we, we want to be able to say, hey, I want to make sure I'm cool with everybody. So I just don't, I'm going to kind of track down a little bit of who I am. or I might just speak some, some stuff like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do that. And I'm still a Christian. Um, recently at my job, uh, I sat next to a guy who's pretty much full blown atheist. And I've been praying like, God give me opportunities to just preach the gospel to him. And, and we got to the la- last week, we got to really just hit hard on that. And, uh, all of a sudden, it became a ridicule of my faith throughout the whole job. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that escalated quickly. <laughs> like, but I had two choices. I either A, back down and say I'm going to compromise the gospel and, and say, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll compromise it for you guys. And just so I don't keep, continue to be made fun of. Or B, I stand my ground and say this is what I believe to be true. And I will hold fast to it. I will not compromise the gospel. How do you do that at your jobs? How do you do it in your friendships? Do you compromise the gospel in your friendships? When we need to step in and be, and, and, and be Christians, do we, we fall back and say, you know, I'm going to stay quiet on this one? Do we compromise because we don't want to offend people? So when the church is called to stand up for certain things that are happening in our culture, in our world, we we fall back because we don't want to offend. And we use the excuse, but we we just got to love people. If love means not standing up for truth, it is not love. Love. Do we hold fast to the gospel when the world tells us not to? And do we compromise it by listening to false teachers and teachings so that we feel good about ourselves? And so we slap our coexist bumper stickers and we drive and and we act like what we live and what we say are the same things. Or maybe, just maybe, And I think this happens a lot in our churches today. We fall into the lies of cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor in the 1990s, he, he was famous for this. And he says this about cheap grace. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without the church. Discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is great without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living incarnate. Cheap grace is grace that thinks that I can continually live in my sinful life and continue to ask God for forgiveness and he'll just do it. And no repentance has been taking place. I mean, I can keep doing what I want. Because I look at God as just a a person that if I rub the magic genie, he'll do what I ask. That is cheap grace and it is a false gospel. And it is a false teaching. Romans 6, Paul says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that more grace may abound? No, by no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Cheap grace ultimately is false teaching and doctrine. So what is Jesus to do? Is he he to allow this to continue in this church in Tyotharo? Is he to allow this to continue in in our current churches today? No. See, Jesus loves his church. He loves his people He loves, and if anyone comes in as wolves to try to destroy the sheep, best believe Jesus is going to do something about it. Look at verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless... They repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. And then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus will deal with false teachers and followers. And those who choose not to repent will suffer the consequences severe. Jesus is a God who's calling us to repent. He can easily said, you failed miserably. Now depart from me. But he said, he looks at the church and says, repent. There is grace where there is sin. There is mercy where there is fault. Just come to me and repent. He even gives the false teacher An opportunity to pretend to to repent, and yet she chooses to, to walk in her ways. Jesus will not only deal with false teachers, but also with the followers, with the products of the false teaching. Here is, he says that he will throw her into a sick bed. Interesting enough, sick bed, right? The very sin that she was, you know, teaching the church to do was the very thing he was gonna punish her, you know. Use her to be affected by the sickbed. But he also says, I will throw her into great tribulation and I will strike her children dead. I will tr- I will strike her children dead. That those who follow and walks and walk in the ways of sin and false teachings, Jesus will also deal with them as well. Jesus does not play games when it comes to his church. By striking down this false teaching and prophet, what he's doing, he's ultimately also showing the churches that he means business when it comes to sin. That's why he says in verse 23, and when I strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart. Again, we we go to the eyes of fire. It is he who ultimately knows the heart and the mind. When the heart is corrupted by sin, the mind is also corrupted. And therefore, God will judge according to our deeds. What we produce, God will judge accordingly to it. False teachings hurt people. They hurt the church. Jesus must deal with those things. And the punish and, and, the, and the severe punishment, the punishment it's severe. Jesus does not deal lightly with it. And so even us here, God is calling us to repent. If we have taken upon ourselves teachings that we know only justifies our way of living, he calls us to repent. He's graceful to say, listen, You've you've been letting this drive you for a long time. Repent. Go back to my word. Go back to my truth. This is good. And he calls you to repent. He calls you to turn from that and come to him and find mercy. So what is the church to do? What is the church called to do? What does Jesus tell the church to do? look at verse 24 he says but to the rest of you right he's dealing with those believers who haven't given themselves into the teachings of this false teacher but to the rest of you in Talatara, who do not hold to this teaching who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan see some of the people were calling those these, these are deep secrets Right? These are new things that are happening. Like, listen to this. Come here and adhere to this teaching. They're deep secret things that enlighten us. But the reality, there was works of the devil. The deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burdens. Jesus say, to those who are not practicing and following these things, to you I don't hold any other burdens, but Hold fast to what you have. Look at verse 25. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Hold fast to what you have. What what are they called to hold fast to? They're called to hold fast to God's word, they're called to hold fast to the gospel that they have been taught to throw away the false teachings and the false teachers, but to hold to the truth of God's word. He says, hold fast to this. Back uh, a couple years ago, back when I was a teenager, Andy gave an illustration to me that, that to this day has pretty much been an illustration that I use in a lot of my sermons. He, uh, he was talking about back in the Navy days, um, sailors would tattoo uh, hold fast on their knuckles when they were on the boats. And so when they were out in sea and, and the water was raving and the water was going crazy, they would hold on to the lines and, and they would look to the words hold fast so that they would stay strong to it because at any point the waterways would just take them away. And so they will hold fast. And the reminders were, don't let go of this rope because the, 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 what can happen is severe. And Jesus is telling that to his church. Tattoo the words of, hold fast onto your heart. Hold fast to God's word because at any, way, any point, the enemy will try to do everything he can to take away the truth. To rob you from the joy of Christ to take away the very thing that he's giving us so that we can learn and grow and and, and, and be followers of Christ. Hold fast, he tells the church, until I come. Believe in the gospel and never let it go. The gospel is way sweeter than false teaching. And I think a lot of times we're scared, right? Because we're like, you know, if what does it mean that if What does it mean for me not to compromise? Because if I compromise, I might lose out on this, or I might repent. For you're not seeing that Jesus is much sweeter. For you're not seeing that Jesus is much greater, and that Jesus knows every need and everything that that, that, that you possibly need for your life. You're not tasting the sweetness of Christ. Don't compromise the gospel for false teaching. Hold fast to God's truth, to God's word, because there's a promise. There's a promise. There is something good, right? Jesus just doesn't leave them with uh, hold fast and uh, I'll catch you later. No. He says hold fast because I, I got something good. Look at verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. We got two promises that Jesus gives us here. He gives us one, authority over the nations. And two, giving us the morning star. Let's look at authority over the nations. What does that mean? It basically means this. We're going to reign with Christ for all eternity. We will be by his side. Daniel chapter 7 verse 18 says this. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. You, if holding fast to the gospel, you will rule with Christ. You will be under the king's leadership. And we will have him forevermore. He also says, he gives us the morning star. Revelations chapter 22, verse 16 says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches." I am the root and the descendants of David. I am the bright morning star. Who's the bright morning star? Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this is the promise. I will give to you the morning star. I will give you more of me. Not just in eternity, but even now, I will give you more of me. Hold fast to this, for the promises are so much better. You will rule with me in the kingdom that will last forever, where no false teaching or teachers can ever enter. And I will give you more of me. The very thing that you need is me, the morning star. We will have Jesus forever. It says, verse 29, and he ends, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you have ears today, listen. Repent. Come to Christ who has open hands and an abundance of mercy and forgiveness and grace to you. Let go of the things that we want to accommodate our lifestyle and so we want to hear the things that we want to hear. Let his word purify us. Let his word tell us who Jesus is. Let his word teach us. Hold fast to the very thing that he has given us. This book is not irrelevant. This book is needed in our world today. There are false gospels, churches that are being destroyed because they're not preaching the gospel. Hold to the truth. Hold to what we know to be good and praise God for churches that are doing that. Do not compromise the gospel. Galatians chapter one six nine says this, do not let your ears be itchy looking for... My, no, no, sorry. Um, Galatians chapter, and I'm going to turn there actually because I should have marked it down, but I didn't. Galatians chapter 1, 6, 9 says this. I'm astonished that you are so quick, quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning into a different gospel. Not there there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. Don't let the gospel be distorted. Hold to the truth. And so what are some applications for us? Read your word. Read your word. Read it. Know it. I look at this room and I see a lot of young kids, right? You guys are going to Phantom Ranch. Israel. I look at you and you guys are going to have what I pray to be a great week. And I pray that you guys will come out of that on fire for Christ. I pray that you also would adhere to his teachings. And don't let the false things of this world capture you. Go and and be, let let the word of God change you. Let, Let Christ and his gospel make you new people. Read good books. This is an application for us. Read solid, good, Bible-preaching, reading books saturated in Christ. Don't pick up How I Can Live My Best Friday or books on How I could Be a Better Me because you can't. But pick up books that are going to challenge you, that are going to call you out on your sin, and they're going to call you to repent and trust in Christ. They're going to tell you who you are in Christ. Those are the books you want to read. Listen to faithful faithful gospel teachers. And lastly, repent if you are walking in these ways. I can't stress that enough because Jesus couldn't stress it enough. Repent of all evil doings. Repent of the falseness of of, of things that are not according to our word so that we can walk in the ways that we want be challenged to know that God has something greater for you. Unfortunately for the church of Thyatira, it seems like they didn't hold fast to this because a couple hundred years later, they kind of ceased to exist. It seems that even though they had the letters that John wrote, they had Christ speaking to them. Hold fast. They chose not to. And God removed their lampstand. God removed that church. Don't be like that. Grow. Let God do amazing things. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the preaching of your word. Thank you, God, that you call us to repent and that you offer forgiveness in ways that we could can't even comprehend. Let us not compromise the gospel. Let us not compromise compromise the truth to accommodate our life, our sin. May we not have itching ears to false teachings and leaders. God, will we hold fast to your word, to your gospel. May we hold fast to what we know to be true. This is not irrelevant. This book is what You've given us to know you. May we eat the word. May we live it out in our jobs and our friendships and our ways that we evangelize. Pray for the youth that are going to camp. Lord, I pray that they would eat the word, that they would let the word word speak, to let them know that, God, this this is yours. I pray for transformation. Pray for young leaders to go into these schools and, 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 and go out for the kingdom, that they will make more disciples rooted in your gospel truth. Pray for us as a church, thankful that we have leaders that are preaching the gospel. Thank you for this corner church that is every Sunday preaching the gospel. And we do not take that lightly. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray for those churches that are not. May they repent or may you remove their lamp. May you remove anything that distorts the truth. May the enemy have no joy in robbing the church. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.